Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Home, family, friends. Who do you consider family? Who do you travel with? Not just who do you drive here with, but but where's your spiritual home? In fact, do you even have one? Uh, Over our last year together, we've had the privilege of welcoming over 250 people uh, into membership at Liquid Church, and that's been a joy for us. You know, some families add a, a new brother or a sister every year, but God's brought 250 folks together to call this church their spiritual home. And if you're new, there's something you should know. I mean, when we talk about membership at our church, it doesn't simply mean like having your name on a list or an insider now, or we want you to like do administrative tasks. We wanted the emphasis to be relational about how we relate to one another as as brothers and sisters in Christ and the quality of our care and concern for everybody who says, this is my home, this is my spiritual home, because the Lord knows we need family. I mean, in this world, we will have trouble. That's promised. But Jesus has overcome the world and he's given us a tremendous resource in one another, Saying when he adopts us into his family, he gives us a new family, and that's called the church. One of the distinctives of this church is our core values, the beliefs that we hold like really dearly or, or, or kind of our guiding ethos. And one of the most important ones is intentional community. And I think that phrase really captures the essence of what it means to belong here at Liquid. It's funny, most folks don't think of community as like, you know, have to be intentional about it. It shouldn't just be something that happens naturally and easily. Actually, no. According to the Bible, it's a critical discipline we have to be deliberate and intentional about if we're going to make progress to our ultimate goal of growing up in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's not as easy and natural as we think. Our main text for tonight is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, and I'll invite you to turn there with me. There are a few Bibles on the end, if you could pass them down so everyone has a chance. It's on page 1971, a very good year, the year of my birth. Anyone other? 1971, anyone else? 1971 in the house, 1971. This is, um, uh, this is a, the Hebrews is found towards the back of the New Testament. It's just past the, the letters that Paul's wrote, but it's before the end where you get to like Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, and even if you've never heard of Hebrews before, I guarantee you're a little bit of a scholar. Um, take a guess, the, the, it was written to, anyone? The Hebrews, yeah. In this passage I'd like to ground us in, it's only three verses. We're only looking at three verses tonight. But they're what I call the let us commands. This is like the salad passage of Hebrews. Because there are three bold statements in a span of three verses that begin with the the words let us. Let us do this. Let us do that. He makes three successive let us commands to the Christians he's writing to. And as we look at them, I think you're going to see what I mean. When I say that intentional community is a core responsibility of being part of a church family. So let's look at this. Hebrews 10 uh, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the the day, capital D, approaching. Okay, we'll stop right there. Let us, okay? Imagine a big head of, of ripe lettuce. It's a picture and it's a play on words, but it's really that first lettuce that's most meaningful because it's followed by an amazing word that has special resonance for those of you who have a teenage driver in your family. Let us hold what? Unswervingly, right? Everyone here knows what it means to kind of swerve. Funny story came across the AP Newswire in Australia of all places. Check this out. Ten-year-old ghost driver takes grandmother's car for 85-kilometer drive. Check this out. 
Um, Police in the Australian state of New South Wales have reported that they pulled over a 10-year-old child driving his grandmother's car along the Newell Highway in western Wales on Sunday. According to police, they received numerous calls around 12.30 p.m. on Sunday from truck drivers who were concerned that a ghost car was on the highway. (laughs) Just cruising along, didn't see anything there, right? As they passed a red Commodore station wagon, it appeared no one was behind the wheel, and it was hitting uh, speeds up to 85 miles an hour and swerving erratically. However, it would hit speed strip bunts and then magically right itself. Maury police dispatched a highway patrol unit that located the vehicle 35 kilometers north of Maury. When signaled by police, the ghost car calmly put on its blinker and pulled over to the side of the road. (laughs) Officers were surprised as they approached the vehicle and a 10-year-old driver got out of the vehicle with his 6-year-old brother in the passenger seat. They told the police that they were with their grandmother in, in Bagabilla, you know, it's Australia, <laughs> when they decided to visit their grandmother 120 kilometers south. The children said they'd taken their grandmother's car to make the trip. And when pulled over by police, they had traveled around 85 kilometers, which is about like 40 miles. <laughs> Sergeant Matt Clifford said, other than the periodic swerving, they appeared to be driving normally, certainly better than probably most of the people on our roads. Now, I thought roads in New Jersey were dangerous. Anyway, that, that picture of, of this car, you know, kind of just going smoothly along, just driving along, and just kind of periodically swerving into the other side, but then, you know, kind of writing itself. The writer of Hebrews actually uses a rich word that he translates unswervingly, and it's supposed to have that feeling to it, and the implication is this. Life, by default, has a tendency to veer off course to actually cross the median, to drift into the shoulder, and in some cases, head on for a collision. That's naturally. Now, he's, he's talking about our spiritual faith here, of course. But he's saying that faith can be easily derailed. <laughs> Instead of making consistent, steady, regular progress in our growth towards God, we can actually get off course, off track. I mean, we may go forward at first, but at some point, circumstances can cause us to swerve a little bit to the right or the left, and we can get stuck or stranded. Or in some cases, not as lucky as the kids from Australia, wrecked by a head-on, unexpected stuff that comes at us in the oncoming lane from life. I mean, ask ask Joe, who you saw in our opening video. 20 years of marriage and then the diagnosis, cancer. Or or Lane, the young woman who's single, loves her friends, loves to laugh, but, but struggles with loneliness and an eating disorder. A marriage that cracks up, difficult kids, sickness, the loss of a job or a dream. I mean, life is designed in some ways, it looks like, to knock you off your faith, to keep you from making steady, stable progress in your relationship with God. I mean, how about you? How would you characterize your spiritual walk over the past year, you know, 2006? Would you say, oh, it was just like 85 miles an hour, consistent and steady, maybe a few detours, but generally stable and growing. I mean, you drifted here or there, but got distracted, but, but you eventually, you know, you look back in the last 12 months of your life, you're like, I made steady, consistent progress. Or have you been kind of bumping off the guardrails, kind of swerving, you know? Or or maybe you're kind of stuck doing donuts in the 7-Eleven parking lot, like we used to do in high school. (laughs) Are you in the same spiritual place you were a year ago? That's depressing to think about. But it's also a reality of life in this world. Life is designed to knock you off your faith. I mean, the trials, the stresses, the tests, the difficulties can really totally jar the hardiest and most well-intentioned believer. I mean, when my father was diagnosed with cancer, bam, like everything I knew, total disorientation in my faith, oh, rock to the core. Most of us are not as lucky as the kid drivers in Australia, and that's why the writer of Hebrews, he says to followers of Jesus, he says, okay, guys, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess 
For he who promised, that's Jesus, is faithful. He is our co-pilot. He is with us. But the question facing us is, how do we avoid swerving in the Christian life? That is, move forward consistently with, with progress in our spiritual lives. Well, part of the answer is found in verse 24. Take a look at this. The next one, the writer of Hebrews 10 answers his own questions with this lettuce command. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Second verse. Now you notice it begins with and, so it's related. In other words, this is related to the previous issue of swerving. So if you want to ensure you're holding fast when life throws you a curveball and you don't veer off course or get stuck, let us consider how we may, let's say this word together, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Another great word picture here. They think the Apostle Paul was very likely the writer of Hebrews, but he used to use all the time these word images to kind of get it in. And, and you know what a spur is, right? Where do you see those? On the back of cowboy boots. That's our modern image. Uh, last past summer, I, took, I got horse riding lessons from my wife. She's like, you got the belt buckle, get the horse. So, so I went horseback riding. And anyone ever take horseback riding lessons? This is good times. So you know what a fool I was when I showed up with a cowboy hat. You know, I show up there. I'm all bad. I got my belt buckle. I got my cowboy hat. And, uh, you know, and they were like, oh, you've, okay, don't tell me. You've seen city slickers, you know. Uh, and, uh, and they were real nice about it. But they were like, we don't do western riding here. That's western riding with, like, boots and everything. And, and, and this is English saddle riding. You know what they make you wear in English saddle riding? The little black beanie, right? The little helmet. And then these black boots that there's no way to describe them. They look a little bit like go-go boots. They are tight and they are up to your knee, okay? And they give you tight little khaki pants. And guess what? They give you spurs. Uh Uh-uh. What is it? A crop. Let's go. Not so much. And I was like, this is not what I had in mind. I was like, you know, I've watched the movies. And, and, you know, don't you have like kind of a little bit more, you know... um, and they go, no, that's Western riding. I said, what about the spurs? When do we get spurs? Because I bought my own boots. And they were like, where did you get those boots? The mall? At Chess King? You know, it's like, and, and I go, well, well, I go, don't we use those? They said, no, they actually only use spurs. She was actually very nice about it. She goes, we only use spurs, she goes, with our most talented riders because they don't even need to use the spurs. They just go, and what's it communicate to the horse? That something's coming. And they actually don't even have to kick the horse. And one of the girls in the class was kind of funny. She was just like, that is so cruel, kicking an animal in the ribs. And the great thing was that our instructor said, no, sweetheart, we call that a motivational tactic. <laughs> really sweet. And she goes, but actually most talented writers don't have to use the spurs because the sound of the spurs tells them that they're going to get prodded or poked. So you might as well start moving in the right direction. <laughs> And that's literally kind of what Paul has in mind here. It's an entryway in the meaning of this word. He says, he's using it as a verb. We're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We are literally to encourage, motivate, catalyze, prod, poke, whatever it takes to energize each other forward. So that together we make steady progress in growing into the life of love and good deeds that God designed for you to do in advance. And you know what? It makes sense when it comes to growth. I mean, any kind of growth, spiritual or physical. This January, I made a resolution to get back in shape. How many made a resolution? You were like, this is the year. I, I, I used to go to the gym. This is like, you know, this goes before I had kids. So this is like three years ago. And now it's like, I don't, you know, I get home, I'm exhausted. So a friend of mine is a trainer, and he kind of evaluated where I'm at physically. He's like, dude, you got a furniture problem. Your chest is starting to drop into your drawers. <laughs> it's like, I know, I know, dude. Uh, I was like, I'm going to do it. This is the year I'm going to get back in shape. So Kyle and I go on the cruise. First day, I was like, I'm hitting the gym, hit the gym, run around the deck. Second day, I hit the buffet. 
And then I hit the beach and then back to the buffet and I never went back to the gym. We got home, renewed resolve. We're like, this is the, no, that was, you know, cruise. It's rogue, rogue cruising. Uh, but we went to the Y the first day, real good. Next day, went again. But then day three, I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I can go again with my, you know what, I just, you know, I'll go tomorrow. Yeah, you've been there. Day four, oh, meetings, meetings came up. Oh, that's okay, I'll go Friday. Friday, it's Friday. Come on, it's working on Friday. You know it, right? And then the weekend's a past Monday, we'll deal with it. Um, and, and as I thought about that, I just, so I just stopped going. Why? I th- why I was depressed. I was like, what is wrong with me? Why do I lack the commitment to discipline? And then I thought back to the time when I was in the best shape of my life, going to the gym every day three years ago. What was different? I'll tell you what was different. John was different. I had a buddy a training partner of mine. We didn't know anything. But we worked out together. And we would, we would meet every other day. He would call me before I get out of, you know, work or school. He'd be like, hey, dude, I'll meet you over there. You know, 445. We'll just be here till 6. And, and the greatest thing that happened is that on the days that I was tired, just like, oh, you know, dude, I'm totally wiped. And he's like, come on, man, I'll meet you there. And we would go. I don't, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. But we just like, you know, pump iron and like, you know, complain about our wives. Yeah, man, you know, kind of thing. And, and for the better part of three years, John and I worked out together at least a couple times a week. And John spurred me, and I grew. That year, I was at like my, my like prime fighting weight. You can, you can still see the vestiges of the manly muscle. You know? No, I won't. I want to cause a panic. Yeah. Why is that? Those of you who work out know what I'm talking about. Why is it a thousand times more effective to keep up your exercise commitments when you partner up with a friend? Because it's a principle of all growth. Rarely does growth happen in isolation. You were designed to grow in community. And when you're intentional about harnessing your growth, really, really, whether it's physical or spiritual, to the life of someone who cares about you, who actually you can mutually trust and encourage together, that's when the real progress happens. Same thing in the spiritual life, says the writer of Hebrews. What's one of the ways that we keep from swerving in our spiritual life? We spur one another. We ride together, saddle up. And you encourage and motivate one another in our shared journey. And that's why we have such a high commitment to small group life at Liquid. In fact, one of our our core values is expressed this way. The bigger we grow, the smaller we stay. (laughs) We've grown over the past year. We've been averaging about 600 people a night for the past month. And that's a great thing. It's awesome like to be together and worship and sing and exchange greens. That is awesome, but it's not enough. You were designed for more. You were designed to, 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 to know and be known for more intimate, small group connection. We, I mean, 600 people, let's be realistic. You're going to read some name tags and fake it with about 100 of them. <laughs> but there may be five or six where you even knew where they came from tonight when they came in. And the amazing thing is you came on a great night, even if it's your first night, or like, I don't really know anybody here. Because tonight is our small group sign-ups. That is the best way when people come for the first time to make new friends and really grow this year if you're serious about advancing your spiritual faith. When folks come to liquid, they're like, what do I need to know? And I, I always tell them three things. I'm like, three things. Find God, find a friend, find a job. <laughs> In other words, come here, find God. That is what we're about, about you connecting with your Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. But more importantly, that's not going to be enough. You've got to find a friend. You've got to join a small group or else you're not going to stick. I can almost guarantee that. And then find a job because you have gifts and they're going to be used to serve. I mean, you guys know, you see all the people there. How, can we thank our Liquid Kids people and the tag team tonight for awesome what you guys did? This is not new stuff, folks. This is literally the foundational strategy that the early church was built on. 
We're simply trying to build a simple model of what the early church actually did. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, this is originally after Jesus left. Here's the, here's the church strategy in verses 46 and 47. It says, Every day, Jesus' followers, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, big old worship service. They broke bread in their homes, small groups, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising and enjoying the favor of all the people. I mean, it's interesting. After Jesus left, the early church, they kept it, like, real simple. (laughs) They were like, we're going to have corporate worship together, large group gathering, 600 people. The early church, 6,000 people. Observed the Sabbath, what we know as Saturday. But then they had home-based fellowship, small group community that literally did what? They broke bread in their homes on a regular basis. So large group gathering, small group life, and that's the model of the early church. And it makes sense. Think about it. I mean, what happens in a large you know, setting like this when we come together for worship and teaching? It's something that can't happen, actually, when you're just on your own. You get a sense. <laughs> I talked to someone last week. They were like, when I come, I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. And I'm like, you are. <laughs> you come into the presence of God. In the presence of his people. This is the body of Christ. You visibly see Jesus in a way you can't see when you're just looking in the mirror. And you connect with with our Father together. See, it's about something bigger than the small issues in our lives that we walked in with. Or that so easily distract or discourage us. You, You receive encouragement. You hear God's word. You draw strength from it. You stay on target. And likely your presence encourages others too. Now, the large group gathering is awesome. But guess what? It's not enough. Look at the second half of the equation in the early church in Acts. It was small groups of believers that broke bread together in their homes. You know, so we say we are not a church um, with small groups. We say we're becoming a church of small groups. This is like, this is cheers, okay? You've got to have a place where everybody knows your name. <laughs> and you're going to have a lot of people fake it tonight and go, hey, uh, Doris, hey, Doris, you know. But you have to have a place where you're missed if you're not there. And we become intimate with other people's strengths and their weaknesses as well, their dreams and their fears. And it's God's plan to care and nurture his people, just as Christ commanded. In other words, the bigger you grow, the less probably contact. I mean, quite honestly, if, if you're in a hospital next week, that's great. You can email me. I might try to get there. But I'm going to hope that there are six or seven or eight people who are so connected to your life that they know well before I do and that when I show up, there are eight people there already. They're taking care of you. And that has happened. We have had that happen in this church. That's where the shepherding happens and the nurturing and the care. And it's essential. And it's why we've invested so much time in developing such an extensive menu of small groups for people to plug into. I mean, you know our metaphor, right? We say our church is designed to function like a home. We created these environments where you can grow in the five key areas of spiritual life. We're in the foyer where we do worship. Awesome. But come to the living room. That's where fellowship happens. You get to know other people, life on life. Progress into the study where discipleship. This is where we actually wrestle through the questions that we all have. Together, and we find support, actually, and for the challenges that we're all facing, the nitty-gritty stuff of life. We like to actually say that small groups, like I said, are like cheers, a place where everyone knows your name. And here are, I should forget the cheers thing, here, right here are the cheers groups. Uh, take a look at this. It's in your bulletin. This is the small group sampler. Just to give you an example of the kinds of groups that we have that happen outside of Sunday night. Would you take a look at this? Because groups are organized around season of life, different topics, Some of them are are geographic locations. We have them from Summit to Belleville, New Brunswick to Morristown. And commitment levels are very different, as well as spiritual levels, okay? Look at this thing. It's kind of interesting. Look at, like, open study groups, for instance, meaning they're open. Anyone can come at any time, just pop in, and you're going to connect. Catalyst, a monthly group for 20-somethings to connect with others about the key issues, dating, sex, career, purpose, where the heck am I going in life, right? 
I'm like, man, when I was in my 20s, I wish I had a catalyst group. Because I was kind of, like I said, doing donuts in the 7-Eleven parking lot. And you need a spark, hence catalyst. Celebrate recovery. Actually, these are not just feel-good groups. These are where we do the real stuff of life. And recovery, that's a recovery group for any individual struggling with any addiction. Could, like you saw, Laney, eating disorder. We have those here. Porn addictions. We have this here. There are no perfect people here. Guaranteed, starting with me. And so one of the things we do is celebrate the recovery that Jesus Christ can bring into your life when you are going after it with other people, not just on your own. If you know if you've ever tried to beat an addiction on your own, you may make a little progress, but you're going to end up in the rut. So food, gambling, whatever it is, uh, celebrate recovery. Taking risks, an open group for men that discuss how risks fit into men's daily lives and challenge them, actually. So we don't have the paralysis, you know, of analysis. We can actually take a step forward in a relationship or a commitment or a job or whatever. And the covering, prayer group for moms. My, my wife was a part of that awesome group. But then we have closed groups. Take a look at that. These are groups where, because of the nature of it, is so personal that this is six or eight people. It's not like it's exclusive. But they journey together, and they don't add more people as we go along. So we have things like Breaking Free, a study of the book of Isaiah with women. Um, Young couples, a place where young couples can safely talk about the undiscussables that arise as they work together to have a new life together in Christ. Crown Financial. (laughs) How are your finances? Are they a disaster? God cares. (laughs) We actually offer... How many of you have never put together a budget? Yeah, how many of you are lying? Thank you for your five people of honesty, right? If you've never put together a budget, we will actually teach you how to put together a budget. Why? Because money matters actually to God. <laughs> it's not about getting more money from you, but it's actually helping you be a better steward and actually mature. So if you look at all these, some of them don't even have like overt spiritual content. You've got things like um, Sports Unlimited. That's a group that meets every other Saturday to play uh, so- pickup soccer, ultimate frisbee, flag football, whatever. And you're like... That has spiritual redemptive value? You bet it does. Because there's something about when God's people get together and just have life on life together that God uses to grow us. It's the conversations that happen in between. Or dinner club, an open group for people in their 30s. You can see, this is a sampler. We have between 30 and 40 groups. We wanted to just give you an example of it. And the neat thing are is that we believe this is the actual environment where life change has the best chance to occur. And that is very humbling for me to say as a guy who does the talking on Sunday. <laughs> Because you can hear a message in a large group setting, and you may be convicted, or you may be like, wow, inspired. But in small group community, you do the digging into God's word. You actually sort through the issues. You challenge one another. You're not passive listeners, but active participants. And that's how life change really occurs. But don't just take my word for it. I want you to listen to the firsthand experience of uh, my buddy Rob, who some of you know, our gifted, one of our gifted drummers here at Liquid, who took the risk of hooking up his spiritual growth in the context of small group community this past year. Would you roll that for us? Lisa, please. So I joined a small group, I guess, back in September. And... It was, it was the inner journey, and it was, it was like it was like God you know, He strategically placed this like this season in my life for small groups. He prepared me to really talk about some things and share some things. I guess about four years ago, after my faith became my own, I made a decision to really follow Jesus. About two months after that, I went into a major battle of depression that lasted for very, it was very intense for about a year and a half, two years. Slowly, I was being rebuilt and things like that. And this, I guess the small group came at a perfect time for that because I really, through the small group experience and through those wounds, I was, I've been able to experience like God's amazing healing through that right now. 
and corrected some thoughts, some world views that I had of myself, of God, of other people that were completely wrong. And it's just been, it's, it's been an incredible experience. And I feel like, you know, now there's no going back. There's no more business as usual because the old way wasn't working. And this way is, I mean, it's unbelievable. Some of the things that I'm experiencing. And I love the whole idea about how God is trying to tell a story through my life. That gave me so much hope and like just excitement, adventure, everything. Because, I mean, and especially when you're going through those tougher times, because to, to know that God has big plans in those tough times, that just gave me so much motivation and excitement that, that even in the midst of those tough times to stay the course and um, to really you know, to keep doing what I'm doing and watch God like, change me on the inside and heal me while all my other physical circumstances are staying the same. It's, just, it's been such a powerful thing for me. It's been unbelievable and it's really this, this small group process has helped me really make sense of some of the things that the dark times that I had been experiencing a few years ago. And um, it just helps, it, it, the fact that God's telling a story through my life, and that's part of the story, and that's something that'll will never, I mean, I'll, that'll stick with me just forever. So I would recommend a small group to anyone who wants to be just free of guilt and shame, and I guess just who wants to have, you know, partners going through difficult times. So I think that's, a, that's been a huge part of it for me. My name is Rob, and I need my God at the Church. I thank Rob for sharing his life with us. Rob was part of a group called The Inner Journey. That's a group that actually Glenn leads and is designed. Actually, many of our leaders, the majority of them, have gone through it. We direct them to it because it's one that actually looks at the deeper, hard issues of your life. I mean, what do you do with, you know, when you hit with a season of depression? How do you make sense of that? Where does God fit in? Where does that fit into his story and what he's trying to do with me? That's what Rob discovered there. It's interesting, but that word spur, we spur one another on. It, it connotes like poking or prodding on, on the creature on the receiving end. And actually, that is a little bit of what God's design is for community. You open up yourself. You take the risk of someone kind of poking or prodding in the soft spots. And that, what happens is God honors vulnerability. He actually administers his grace through the words and care of his people. And wounds are healed. Questions are answered. Life starts to make sense. And you find your place in the larger story that God's telling through all of our lives together. I mean, a small group, you're giving permission for someone to speak into your life and actually open it up to their influence. And that is a vulnerable thing. That's one of the primary objections. People are, like, frightened, you know, by making a commitment to, to, to a small group. Accountability. What happens when someone sees what my life is really like? Warts and all. I mean, not just the way I walked in here, but the real flaws and deep gaps. Will I still be accepted? What if you were more than accepted? What if it was the first time you didn't have to hide? And you were actually spurred on gently and encouraged. What if you had others to help carry you through the hard times? To actually pray with and for you or share scripture with you. To help you see God at work in your life, even when you don't even have a clue like where he is. Is it just possible that your swerving would lessen? That you would make steadier, consistent progress because you're no longer isolated, but sharing the journey with others? I mean, man, let me ask you guys. Where does a man go to express his fears or doubts? Bar. Bar. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Appreciate that. Few people had an answer ready. Okay. Yeah, bar, right. Okay. Yeah, it's true. Where, where does a couple go to share their struggles with others and not just keep it between the two of them? Or mom and dad when they're, you know, their kid's going off the deep end and they're going to lose their mind. This is about mutual encouragement, folks, and that's the way God's designed us to grow, that you need others and others need you. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards 
love and good deeds. This is important. Because Hebrews is saying that each of us actually has to be challenged by others to actually actively express our faith towards love and good deeds. That is a cornerstone of authentic Christian community. Last night, I was at a 30th birthday party, surprise party for a buddy of mine here at Liquid. He was, you know, he's, you know it's one of those classics, you know, like sort of surprised, like, ah, hey, you know, like maybe I didn't know, maybe sort of know. But I, I saw him, and I was like, hey, happy 30th, man, everything. And it was amazing, because like 30 minutes in, he's just kind of like slumping on the couch. And I'm like, it's not that bad. 30's okay, man. He's like, no, I'm just tired. I go, why, why, what's going on? He goes, well, I was snowboarding all day. I go, I go you, do you snowboard? I didn't know you snowboard. He's like, I don't. <laughs> I was like, where'd you go? He's like, yeah, I went down, you know, to, to you know, the Action Park area, I guess. And, he, and he's, I was like, who'd you go with? He's like, I went with uh, Zach so-and-so. And I don't know a lot of guys named Zach. And I was like, you mean, you mean the, the younger, younger guy, Zach? He's like, he's like, yeah, he's 13. I was like, wow. I was like, cool. Guys, you're really bummed about turning 30. Find younger friends, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, that's not why I spent the day snowboarding with the 13-year-old. He goes, I, 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 it has to do with my small group. <laughs> See, we spent the past like month, we're just kind of praying and kind of, you know, that, that passage in James, you know, it talks about true religion, helping widows and orphans, and we've been like kind of thinking about it and praying about it, and we felt like God was asking us to actually reach out and help single moms at church, particularly kids who don't have a dad around in their everyday life. And so prompted by my small group, I reached out to Zach, who I know, you know, he's in the youth group, he's 13, and I figured he could use a day on the slopes with another man. An older man, like me, who's 30. (laughs) And that's how I spent my birthday. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. There's a reason my friend Drew invested his weekend pouring into the life of a young boy in our church. Why did he do it? Because he spent the last three months connecting his life with other men who want to be connected to God's heart. And together they discovered something incredible about God's passion for the fatherless. And that group stimulated love and good deeds. That wouldn't have happened without spiritual community that's led by Jesus. So for those of us who hold to the Christian faith, intentional community with other believers is vital. It actually is part of what Christ is doing in this world. And we're neither self-made nor self-maintained. And you need others to grow deeper in your faith. I mean, that's something, that's a foundational truth. You see just, you know, nature all around us. How many of you have ever visited the Redwood Forest? Anyone ever been like Muir Woods? You've seen the Redwood Sequoias? Uh, it's said that the giant Redwood trees of the western United States, you know, they grow to like heights. 400, 400 feet can weigh upwards of 1,000 pounds. Have a relatively, this is what's shocking, 400 feet tall, they have a very, relatively shallow root system. I remember going to Muir Woods. You see the roots are almost like a lot of them are above the ground. And yet, there's some of the most stable forests around. Some of 2,000 years old. These huge things weathering storms, forest fires, growing for hundreds of years. These mighty ancient pillars, why? How come? They have shallow roots. Their enormous weight is supported and stabilized because they interlock them with the roots of other trees. And if you literally blew away all the pine needles and the dirt and everything, you would see a network of interlocking roots totally woven in, tight and secure, so that when the storm hits, the trees may actually sway, but they don't crash. (laughs) They don't topple over because they're linked underneath to one another. You get the parallel. As Christians, we need interlocking roots with other believers in the church to withstand the enormous weight of life. I mean, trouble will find us. You don't know what 2007 holds. Cancer, loneliness, heartbreak, loss, temptation. The impact will be to drift. To drift from the presence of God, drift into self. 
or into sin, and we need others spurring us on in a world bent on self-centeredness and self-gratification. It's a book called um, Disciplines for the Inner Life, and Tilden Edwards, he says, unless we are particularly heroic or saintly persons, each of us needs a relationship with at least one other person who also seeks and trusts the simple way, the simple presence, the presence of God together. Such a spiritual friend can be enormously supportive to us and we to them. You feel a little less alone, a little less tempted to fall mindlessly into complicating traps. Someone else is there who knows whether or not you're trying to pay attention to the simple way. That brings a kind of accountability that's important. And when someone else knows and cares, then we pay that much more attention to what we're doing. And that's the idea behind intentional community. It's how you hold unswervingly to your faith by opening up your lives in a regular, consistent way. Even though you're busy, yes. Even though it's risky, yes. You provide encouragement and accountability and spur another one on. And that's what a spur does. I mean, it's interesting. The writer of Hebrews caps off this section after going through this spur kind of image with the third and final let us that has significant implications. Look at verse 25. He says, so, therefore, let us not give up. Let us not give up doing what? Meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You you see what's implied in this phrase? Let us not give up meeting together. Implication, what's the temptation to do? Drop out. (laughs) Or neglect community. It's it's guaranteed. He's like, and right now if you're bucking against it, you're like, oh man, I don't want to, I don't really feel like joining a small group. Don't, uh, I don't, that's natural. <laughs> the temptation is, not to, is actually not to commit to intentional community with others. And there are a million reasons not to sign up for a small group. Maybe what, the first is that I was in one. It was bad. <laughs> you had a crummy experience, and now you're gun shy. Or you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know. You nailed it. I don't know anybody, and I, you know, that freaks me out. Or maybe you're like, dude, I, I won't fit. I, I dude, I, who the heck are the Hebrews? I don't even know what you're talking about here. I mean, aren't small groups for people who are in the know or, or like the advanced Christians like who, who, like know, who have it all figured out, the spiritual superstars, right? Uh-uh. That is the number one misunderstanding of small groups. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, one of the most important kinds of groups that we're investing a lot of time in our semester and giving our best leaders to is our starting point group. We like to say that this is the place, if you're new to our church and you're just getting on board, awesome, join starting point. I'm leading one this, this semester with my wife, Colleen. It's for three kinds of people. Seekers, starters, and returners. Seekers are folks, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, this is interesting, this Hebrews thing. What book is that? (laughs) You never even opened the Bible and you're like, I don't know if I even believe what you guys believe. (laughs) This whole Jesus thing. Awesome. (laughs) This is a place for you. Maybe you've got questions and you're like, I've actually, I got some profound questions. If God is so good, then how can we allow suffering in the world? Katrina, tsunamis, your father's cancer. If God is really good, why? Why would that happen? Oh, starting point's the place. Not to provide easy answers, but actually it's a conversational environment where you sort through that stuff together. Or you're a starter. We like to say starters are the folks who are like just ripping the cellophane off their Bible. They just started a relationship with Jesus and they want understanding actually of like how this all fits together and relates them to their own life. Or returners. That's people are going like this. <laughs> you know, blowing all the dust off. Because you're returning to church after some time away. Awesome. This is a church for you. And this is the place to start your journey. Again, don't take my word for it. We've put together a little video for you to get a sense of who Starting Point is for.
needed a really beginner's group. I just had a lot of questions about my faith. Be able to ask questions in a sort of free environment. A very safe environment. There isn't a question or an opportunity that you can't ask somebody without getting an answer. I feel like the group leaders really care about each person. The Bible is an actual historical document. You're in an environment where there's people that you know have tons of questions or don't even believe at all. And I think it forces you to really look at your faith and examine it. This is the safest, most basic starting point. I would say do it. I would say it is a great opportunity. Again, you're going to get a chance to sign up for a starting point group tonight. We had about 30 people sign up at the last service, and our small group connection is immediately following this service, which will be over in just a little bit. But these starting point groups, one again, Colleen and I are leading one. We're in Madison, uh, so we'll have one there. We have one in Summit down in Bridgewater as well. They usually have 10 to 14 people. But there's nothing better than opening your home to people who actually just want to grow. Not that people have all the answers or pretending to have it all figured out, like, I want to hang out with the pastor. But the people who are genuinely searching for God and want to see for themselves what God's story is all about and where the heck they fit in it. We're so passionate about the importance of the group. Like I said, we've got three new locations beginning. They run for 10 weeks. You're not locked in for life. <laughs> That's the best part. We do small groups based on semester, so it's like 8 to 12 weeks for almost all the groups. So if you don't like it, you're not, like, with these crazy people forever. So if you don't be shy about taking a chance to sample a taste of community and faith. That's why God commands his people. He says, let us not give up. We don't want to give up meeting together. Some people are in the habit of doing that. Check this out. When this passage in Hebrews was originally written, some folks in the, in the, in the Jewish Christian community were abandoning their, their getting together for regular worship. They were like, ah, this is okay. <laughs> and there are several reasons for that. They may have been discouraged by the threat of persecution. They didn't have the freedom we have. Or by, by, by continued connections with their former Jewish faith. Or by mere just apathy. Like, eh, whatever. Whatever the reason. Paul points out, he's like, he's like that is fatal if you're going to grow. Because cur- growth doesn't take place in isolation. He says, don't give up on intentional community. In fact, what's he say? All the more so as you see the day approaching. He's, re- he's referring to when, when Jesus actually returns to the world to gather his family together. He's like, as, as things grow closer to Jesus' return, it doesn't mean you privatize your faith. It's when the going gets difficult, all the more do you dig in to community. And again, that cuts against our natural impulses. I saw a friend at the mall the other day. I haven't seen him in a few weeks. I don't always know who's here. And, and he was all apologetic. He looked kind of sheepish. He was like, hey, Tim, what's going on? He goes, dude, I'm sorry. I haven't been to Liquid in a while. I was like, dude, no problem. What, what's going on? And he's like, he like, stuff in my personal life is just like crazy. He's like, I, number one, I'm changing jobs, and now I'm going to have to move. I just got my you know, condo, and now I've got to move. So I've got to sell that. It seems like my whole life is in upheaval. And on top of all, my parents have got sick. And I have to do double time now caring for them. And everything in my life is chaos. And, and so anyway, I'm just going to wait till all that, that crap settles down. Then I'll come back to church. And on one level, that like sounds totally understandable. If going to church were just about time. But it's not. It's about growth. And the Bible says that when we give up or neglect meeting together, we're in danger, especially at the moments when you're getting hit from both sides and swerving, when, when circumstances throw your life into chaos and you're in danger of running off the road. So, in other words, it's like when your life is most chaotic, upside down, and turmoil overwhelmed, that's when you need spiritual community even more. And the encouragement and strength offered by your family of faith is most crucial. 
So those of us who have enjoyed the support that comes with you know, regular and small group fellowship can testify to the power of it. Colleen, my wife, and I will tell you we are better parents because of the married couples that we meet regularly with. Colleen is a better mom when she comes home from meeting with other young moms. I mean, last year she met on that group. I think the cover was like on Mondays or something. It was like, I, I, I can be negligent with the kids. But I was just like, you go, 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 go. I'll take care of the kids. I'll, I'll bathe them, dinner, the whole thing. Because I know, oh man, the best possible investment I can make as a husband and father is to free my wife to go be and pray with other moms who are in a season of life. How about you? Are you ready actually to stick a toe in and make a commitment? Actually finally put down some roots so you have the best possible chance of growing deeper in God in 2007. We're not that much different than a horse or a redwood. There's a U2 song that goes by the title, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. I would, you know, all respect to Bonnie, I would check that. You can't make it on your own, period. <laughs> the spiritual life is a team sport, not a solo endeavor. And that's why scripture says, let us. Not let me or make you, it's let us. In fact, let us stand at this moment. Let's all stand together as a church. I want to read Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 in unison, all right? Everyone together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So how about you? Put down some roots, take a first step towards intentional community. You will not find a more honest and welcoming place to try that than here at Liquid. I realize there are a thousand reasons not to, you know. Life is busy. I like the anonymity. You know, the mental lights go down. I'm checking out. (laughs) Great. Okay. One question. If not now, when? This is a place to start. If you've been spinning your wheels or caught in limbo for too long, take a step towards community and share the responsibility that comes with being part of a family of faith. And I guarantee you will not be the same next year. You will grow. You will grow up. You'll actually grow deeper in God, and you will grow towards others as well. Sign-ups are going to take place in about uh, five minutes following this service after our closing worship. We will give people ten minutes. If you do need to go, that's totally fine. No judgment on you. We won't be like, argh. They hate community, you know. Uh, we realize some of you got to go. You can actually sign up online for a small group. We'll have sign-ups next week as well. But we'll give you about 10 minutes to get out. You may use the bathroom. And then, if you're interested in signing up for a small group, come to the small group connection. You will get the full menu of small groups. Like I said, this is a partial list. This is like nothing compared to all the folks we have up there. You're going to hear from the leaders. They're just going to literally 30 seconds describe their group. And you'll get an eyeball of them and say, oh, Mary Jo, cool. Okay. No, not so. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and you can sign up. And the, most groups will begin meeting the second week of February. And if you can't, again, you can sign up online. Let's pray together, okay? And then we'll close in worship. Lord, thank you that we are made for you and for one another. Um, none of us are orphans. We have a family to live in, and it's not a perfect family, um, Lord, but it is one that you have ordained and said, this is the place, um, these are the people that I have, um, I have made you home with. And I want to thank you, Lord, for each man and woman here. Um, I just ask that um, you would do something amazing. Would you forge relationships, Lord? They can't be forced. But forge them, Lord, um, to grow us this year in a way that we just didn't grow last year. I pray for all the stagnant people, the people who feel like they've not made any progress, Lord. Um, Just give them a holy kind of little prodding, Lord, a little spurring on um, to love and good deeds this year. 
ask that you would do that in the power of your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you especially for the 40 or so small group leaders who are out here tonight in the audience. We just thank you for them, Lord. These are our spiritual leaders. Um, these are the people you've raised up and you have called, Lord, to, um, to lead our whole church, really. And so I want to ask for strength for them this year. I want to ask for your special blessing on them, Lord. Um, let them draw from a deeper well as they give so much of their time to shepherding your people. Do that all in the name of Jesus Christ and in his power. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.